Actually, hey, welcome to Happy Work. Today, I'm very excited to give you the guys, the two folks from Blind is an anonymous app where you can find out all sorts of really interesting information about what's happening. And Happy at Work is all about happiness in the workplace, empowering workers, positivity. And so let's just jump right in. Uh, Mike Tess, if you'd like to give Sure. Uh, Kim and Rick, nice to have you on the show. And I'll just start us off with a first basic question. Let's say that I'm an employee at company X. Not super happy there, but I'm trying to get happier and I discover your app. How could your app help me be happier at my job? Should I introduce myself? First yes, please. Or? Yes. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, uh, hi, Michael, Jack. Um, mm -hmm. My name is Kyum, and I'm one of the co-founders at Blind, and I'm currently a chief business officer at Blind. Um, I overlook uh, business, uh, marketing, and people ops teams. Um, and what Blind essentially is, is an is a anonymous community for verified professionals. We have over 5 million users worldwide, and uh, it's a place where people can have transparent discussions and we give people the freedom of being honest about work. And um, going back to your question, um, if you're not happy about work, there's probably a lot of people that are struggling um, um, right next to you, but they're just not saying at work because they have their professional identity attached. So what we do is we make these forums for people to feel comfortable opening up and sharing those stories and potentially finding a solution. Thank you. Great, Rick, do you wanna introduce yourself as well? Sure, thank you, Tessa. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Michael, for having us on. Uh, my name is Rick Chen. I'm the Director of Public Relations, a spokesperson at Blind. Um, my day-to-day -day role is really focusing on the insights that are being surfaced uh, by our professionals that are using our platform. Uh, so having a close uh, ear on the ground to what professionals are really thinking about, but also how companies are responding in almost real time. You know what, Rick? Maybe uh, maybe you give some examples of the different surveys and studies you have, so they could go. Because, like for instance, I wrote about um, Dave Chappelle's uh, comedy show from Netflix and how. But maybe you could take it and share some of the, the interesting. And, and you're not afraid to touch the third rails, which is kind of cool too. So they'll bring up the issues you know, that are politically charged and they're not afraid to do, which is great because then you get a real conversation. That's right. Uh, I, I think I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, one of the things that we recently looked at is the willingness for employers to, uh, employees to actually protest against their employers. The kind of increasing role of quote unquote workplace activism uh, it is, the stereotype is it's predominantly among larger companies, for example, at a Facebook or a Google. That's certainly what makes the headlines. And we wanted to look at, is it more pervasive? Are technologists, are uh, other professionals at other companies, perhaps a hardware company or a uh, video streaming company even, or even companies outside of the San Francisco Bay Area or New York, are they participating? And we found that while a majority of professionals are, are not doing so, uh, the share of those that are, are engaging in activism like uh, 
sharing a crowdsourced spreadsheet of salaries and levels and feedback about toxic managers or uh, alleged uh, folks that are, you know, maybe sexual harassment, uh, that has been increasing with the kind of movement towards COVID-19. We believe it's because uh, as people are at home, employers, HR managers, they don't have that kind of proximity effect where you might feel pressure to kind of hide this uh, organizing and you can kind of act more freely. Tessa? Yeah, so uh, there's so many questions I wanna ask right now (laughs) because this is so interesting. But the first one I wanna start with is in your research and also what you see of your 5 million um, users or how, how do you identify the folks on your app? What would you call them, participants or? Uh, we, we verify all of our uh, users. So they're verified professionals. Verified professionals. So of, of the 5,000 verified professionals, I'm really curious around um, what, what's the consistencies or inconsistencies you see between companies who espouse certain types of brand values? And, you know, it made me think when you talked about company activism, uh, you know, we see brand activism becoming a much, much more popular in the, in the context of what's happening with social justice issues. I think what we're also finding is that a lot of brands are doing what we call woke washing, which is they'll hashtag about BLM, but they don't actually have a lot of a very diverse board or, or executive leadership. And so are, do you find that companies are consistent when it comes to the values of the, com- the company culture and what the employees experience versus what they're espousing as their brand values to the consumer? Um, I think last year, was um, the year that really stood out to me because because of so many challenges that COVID brought us, um, the companies had to make very, very tough choices and they had to make choices to let people go. They had to make choices to um, shut down the offices. And those are big changes. And what we saw is there was a wide variety of this factor of empathy between companies. A good example is Airbnb. They had to let go thousands of employees. And what they did was they extended their medical insurance. They um, paid a very generous severance and they let people keep their laptops. And they also communicated in a very humane way. But there were other companies that had a group group Zoom call and they they just let people go through a group Zoom call. And that's a terrible experience for the employees. So when it comes to empathy, if, you, if you're really empathetic about, about these kind of things, it creates an employer brand and that's much stronger than anything. And I remember this one post from last year when Microsoft decided to extend the pay to contractors who work in the offices. And that gesture may have cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it, it was the most popular post online for a few days because people appreciate it so much. So I think now employees are actually actively looking into what the companies are doing. And when they do it the right way, they appreciate it. And those kind of uh, um, sentiment actually represented data. So one of the surveys that we did last year is we asked um, companies that did layoffs, employees of companies that did layoffs, um, asking them, were you laid off? And if you were, would you come back to the company? And we saw a very big contrast between Airbnb and others because, because Airbnb employees, even though they were let go, they were willing to go back. 
Whereas other companies, they, they just didn't feel like they were treated the right way. So they said, I would never work for this company again. Ike? And have you seen any evidence by looking at the data that, that managers of these professionals are on the app looking at what people are saying and they've actually changed company policy for the better? Have you seen any evidence of, of change? So I have a lot of anecdotes from employees and executives um, who are my personal friends um, or sometimes people come to our interviews. So when I'm interviewing them, they tell me my executives are looking at mine. And this is what happens usually um, before all hands. So um, when you're going to all hands as an executive, even myself, we're kind of anxious and sometimes terrified because you never know what the employees are gonna ask you. But if you go on blind, people are already talking about what matters the most to them. So now we see a lot of executives going on to blind before all hands and actually scrolling down together in a group and having debates on, oh, I think this is gonna come up. Um, and they prepare themselves for those kind of questions. And I've heard this story from multiple companies in the Valley, um, in the East Coast, um, mostly in, uh, in, in companies when, where we have a lot of traction. Tessa? Yeah, so along those same lines, I mean, I would imagine it would be very um, nerve wracking as, as an executive or as an employer to be able to look at this data and say, oh my gosh, what's happening within my organization and, and so forth. I do also wonder about around kind of the cancel culture. And I think that there's this kind of pushback that I think is happening now in society around, are we canceling people too quickly? Are, you know, are we pushing back? Um, and, and I know that you go through a verification process with the employees, but how do you kind of avoid the toxicity that might arise or people, you know, kind of canceling certain employers because they're just mad about, you know, an incident that happened with their boss or something along those lines. How do you kind of remove the, what might be more petty complaints that could lead to like really big issues for, for large employers that maybe don't have the intention that the evil intentions that the employees are, are, are making it out to be on, on your site. So how do you, how do you deal with that level of potential toxicity among the employees, as well as kind of the pushback towards canceling out an employer or an executive as a result of what's, what's uh, talked about? Yeah, that's a, uh... Very difficult topic and very um, challenging question to answer. But we did think a lot about toxicity from the start, from the beginning. And the way we address it is um, we verify everyone with their work email. So you're already invested in your account and you have your work identity attached. So people tend to be more respons responsible. And another thing is because there are a another thousand people or a couple thousand people who work for the same company, when you post something that is too much or it's just misinformation, there are a ton of people to correct you. Mm -hmm. And the third mechanism is we encourage people constantly to just self-police each other because we, we don't want this community to become a place where only toxicity exists. And we have two pillars of decision-making processes at Blind. First one is we wanna obviously increase the amount of communication. And that's through anonymity. If you're anonymous, people will say more things. They will be more honest and they will be more transparent. 
But the other really important part is the sustainability. We want people to keep on using this form. And if it's, if it's a toxic form, people will leave. So the way we keep it is we encourage people to um, look at each other's posts and make sure you know, it's adding value to everyone. And the company tag, that, that's really important because if we took it away, people would post more. But because of the company tag, there's just more context about um, the discussions that are happening and that keeps the community going. Um, going, to, going to cancel culture and um, uh, those controversies, this is what I believe. So there's a lot of controversies happening without context. And it's now it's become like the content, whether they agree with you or not, has become more important than what, why this person has turned out to believe this way. So what I always believe is um, in an anonymous context, anonymous form, you can, you can say without your personal identity and you can provide more context. So for example, if you're, a, uh, if you're an immigrant who had a lot of trouble getting an H-1B visa, you will have a totally different view from a person who were born here and um, who didn't have to go through that. But without knowing, they just, they're just disagreeing outside of time. But on blind, so what we encourage is tell your story. Like, and how did you grow up? And what is your belief system? How was that built? And when people start talking about it, that's when people connect and try to and start to understand. And I think people should be doing that much more. And that's what we encourage on blind. So we're not, we're not supporting any group. We're not supporting any other political parties. We're just letting people be honest on our platform and be themselves. And I think that's gonna solve a lot of problems out there. Um, and just as a follow-on, because I, and this is actually for Rick probably as well from a PR perspective, but um, I, I really appreciate that you just said context is everything. And so from a PR perspective, what is the response you get from employers and how do you not have a bunch of, you know, litigious employers who are really angry with deep pockets say, you know, we, we're coming after you for this. How, Thank how, you for how, asking that. I, I, yeah, that's a great question. How do you manage that from a PR yeah. perspective? I, I think what is best there is really educating about what blind the platform is, right? So we are a neutral messaging social network, right? We, are, we don't have a bias towards employees or employers like other um, employer brand profiles out there might have, uh, unlike other anonymous communities. Uh, we also point to, hey, this is an ongoing true existing problem or concern among your employees. Um, and, and so that context really prevents people from trying to quote unquote control the platform or the discussions or trying to run away because uh, chances are if they're seeing it on blind, it's not isolated in blind. They're probably seeing it on employee engagement surveys. They're seeing it in exit interview data. And so we're actually seeing companies own up to their shortcomings uh, from data on blind uh, because blind is just another data point. It's not uh, really sitting on its, its own kind of uh, path there. But they don't harass you? They call you up, call Kim and say, how dare you let them say this? Because I got to tell you, when I write stuff, I get it from, I get it all the time. You know, wait, we never said this, or you shouldn't say this, or, oh my God, you don't get that pushback or, on a regular basis? Um, 
we don't really get pushed back. We yeah. get asked some questions from the companies and we make it really clear that yeah. uh, we, first of all, we don't have the identity of the users, even ourselves. And we consciously um, uh, made, it, made it into that structure to disable us from finding out who these people are. And because that's the ethos. So, so you can have like, I don't know. I don't know who they are. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, so we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't just yeah. say like, I don't know. Yeah. We say, we don't know we, these guys. Yeah. <laughs> we, we say our product's about anonymity and we try, we, we, uh, that's the ethos of the company. And that's why we can't um, identify these people. And if it goes against our community guidelines, which includes things like racism, misinformation, company secrets, we take action on those posts um, proactively. But if, if they don't go against our community guidelines, then um, there's uh, we, we encourage those kind of discussions to come out because Mike, it may be uncomfortable, but it, it adds context. Yes. Mike, Tess, would you have thought by having an anonymous that you would just get all sorts of craziness going on? But that, that's not the case, right? I would have assumed, I don't know how you feel, I would have assumed that if you, they don't know your name, you're going to just say some outlandish stuff. But I guess that's not the case, huh? I think context is, is quite important. So unlike other truly anonymous social media platforms, um, it is just free form, right? Whereas for Blind, there is a context in terms of, I'm, I'm actually partly representing the company that I work mm -hmm. for, right? The company tag follows me around in all my discussions. Uh, but then additionally, people come to Blind to really gather company insights. And so they're already coming and saying, how can I get value from this community? And implicit in that is an understanding that, you know, I, I can't really be toxic or, or throw, you know, uh, bombs everywhere because then the community is uh, worse off and I actually can't get the value that I myself want. So there's almost this kind of like selfish underlying that that really works well. I could see that, especially from the perspective of you have professionals who are on your site. It's so they know how to be civilized. They also probably know how to be persuasive that if I'm F-bombing and being like really nasty and toxic, people might just say, oh, just disregard uh, Mr. Angry, Mr. Cranky is not worth listening to. Um, but I was going to ask regarding uh, when you do look at people's posts, what are you finding that these professionals really need? We certainly have a long list of complaints at the workplace, but what do you find is coming to the, the top of what you think people really need and what sort of solutions would they be looking for for those needs? Has that, that information popped onto your radar? Yes, the first thing that I can think of is access to information. Oh, it is very surprising how some companies do a really terrible job at giving access to information to their employees. And that may include my own company because I have employees coming up to me all the time and say, I want more context on this. I want more context on that. And I was like, I communicated this before, but apparently if they don't know, I haven't. And that happens to bigger corporates much more. So when people come to blind, they ask very basic questions. Like where can I get this? Where can I get that? What is the best way to get promoted? Um, where are the employee resources? Those are the questions that, um, that come up all the time. So access to information is one. And 
The second one is we only think about hierarchy when we talk about like the culture of hesitation within these big companies. Like you, 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 you can't say things to your boss, you can't say things to your companies. But as you mentioned, like the council culture and everything, people hesitate because they don't know what other people think about you or the same, same issue. So they just want to know what other people think about what's going on in the company. So let's say company changed their bonus structure. They want to know, is it only me that I'm uh, getting angry or is it other people too? Because I don't want to sound like a person who's angry over something that doesn't matter. So when they come to blind, they can actually ask people, how do you feel? And people would post their honest sentiments and that helps them kind of understand how should I think about this? How should I process this change? And that really gives them a peace of mind to either build a strategy on how to be successful in their career. It's interesting you say this because I, I, besides working at Harvard, I, I work at another school and I noticed everyone this other place is really happy. I'll, I'll just stay anonymous with the, with, with the institution is. Everyone seemed to be really happy. But after two years, everybody seems to quit. So like all my friends are gone. And it took me three years to figure out why are all these happy people leaving this place? And it turned out, it took a while to figure it out. There's just no place for them to grow. They outgrew their jobs and there wasn't a, a growth path. Probably on your app, I could have found that out in 10 minutes instead of like <laughs> wondering for a few years. Hey, why am I the only one left? <laughs> have you, do you have universities on there as well? Or maybe that's a good business uh, vertical. We don't have Just universities at the moment. University uh, faculty and students can sign up with their yeah. university email, but they won't be able to write content. They can just view and consume right. content. All right, guys, don't tell the, don't tell, let them know, but maybe that's what we should do on the side, have a whole thing for all university professors and teachers and instructors to kind of vent and see what's going on. Oh, we could blind you. <laughs> <laughs> don't let them know. <laughs> They'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be with, I'll be ready for a competitor. Do you think the professors would be as civilized as they are on blind or it would get really, really toxic really quick? I don't want to touch this question. <laughs> okay. so. I, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, but I did, I did. I did notice that I don't want to touch it. I did notice that Rick, you had unmuted. Did you, were you going to add something onto that? Yeah, I, I think there, what's, what's probably shocking at least to me is the power that anonymity provides people and so we've also noticed that a lot of topics that are uh, considered taboo in the professional world or even the western world such as money uh, not doing well at work uh, there's this pressure of kind of wanting to strive always for the best trying to get into that fast lane for promotion um, these topics are, are quite difficult for most professionals to have a genuine conversation about, especially on other uh, professional social networks that tend to be all about highlights in your career reel. And, and so a lot of discussions are quite candid in saying, you know what, I'm not satisfied with my compensation. Does anyone else feel this way? Or perhaps I'm moving to another uh, city or metropolitan area and I want to know, oh, is this offer competitive? Um, and, and so we see a lot of discussions about money, also about uh, not doing well. So if you're put on a performance improvement plan, it can be very embarrassing 
to ask someone for advice. It could be um, a quote unquote sign of weakness perhaps, and people don't want to feel like they're digging themselves further in that hole. Whereas on a platform like Blind, that stigma doesn't exist. So I had a I had a follow on question around kind of some of the topics that also come up. So I love that you said access to information, which I think is probably a huge one, as well as this kind of culture of hesitation and and kind of looking for, you know, do people have the same thoughts I have around what's happening? How about as far as topics around sexual harassment, sexual assault, pay equity? We're seeing this obviously come up with the Me Too movement and so forth. So how how has this really um you know come up in 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 blind that we see a lot of posts about those issues on blind all the time and oftentimes those are not whistleblowing or those are not um, pointing out a person saying that they got sexually harassed it's more of a question of is this sexual harassment how should I feel in this situation? And those are kind of the borderline cases where women or minorities are struggling, but because they're not sure, unsure of what to think of it, they are not speaking out. So when, when I see those discussions, I'm very, very happy because you can't just go to your manager and say those things because there's a impact. Um, there's, a, there's a consequence to that. But on blind, you can hide your name you can say comfortably, I experienced this. And how, how should I feel? And what should I do? And there are thousands of other people who've been in the same situation who can give very good advice. So um, that's how we handle those discussions on blind. It just as a quick follow on to that. Sorry, Michael, if I could just ask one quick follow on. Um, I feel like it's such an incredibly, incredibly rich database that could help inform policy around, in particular, sexual harassment. Because what you just said, I know every woman I've ever worked with has always been in that gray area of, was that, that felt uncomfortable, but I don't want to say anything because if that wasn't his intention, I don't want to look crazy. That gray area of not being able to define it as sexual harassment and I feel like you're you're sitting on this rich database space. Have you ever considered, you know, kind of extracting what is the response to people when they are asking those types of questions and what is the general sentiment that those questions receive? Uh, you know, in most cases, do people define it as sexual harassment or not? I just feel like that would be such an amazing rich resource for women. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have uh I don't have data on how people feel, but we've done surveys on whether they've, uh, uh, they've seen sexual harassment happen in companies. And the percentage was surprisingly high. So more than half of the women on blind actually said they have experienced or observed some kind of sexual harassment within their workplace. So I think it's very prominent. Um, I think, from those insights, what the companies can do is obviously blind can't solve their culture problems or sexual harassment problems. But um, in some cases, what I observed is they're just asking the wrong question. So when you go on blind, you can actually see what's going on within the work within the workplace, 
and where people, where are the gray areas? Like you can actually um, see those gray areas and ask questions about those gray areas so we can dive deeper into it and then build a policy. So that's what, that's what, that's where Quine comes in because there's no place else you can get those kind of insights um, from your employees. So on that subject, can you, I think Tessa explained it really well that you're not really sure, and the word sexual harassment is a bit of a sledgehammer term. Are you able to like survey people on blind and, and kind of have these questions of, okay, you know, was that sexual harassment or was there this gray area? Uh, some people make me feel creepy. Uh, some people make me feel uncomfortable. I can't put a word on it, but I'm like, eh, this place has got kind of a vibe that's not really great. So that people could be informed, or at least the executives could say, well, no one's breaking the law, but we're certainly getting the negative impact that people aren't feeling psychologically safe uh, at the organization, and maybe we should change something uh, regarding it. Are you able to do that? Like you, you survey people and maybe give it back to that company? Yeah, so we, we absolutely yeah. do this. Um, so we're, we're, we're quite, uh, I, I think Jack will, will attest, we run polls quite regularly to gauge um, these insights. And the goal with these surveys is, is to really empower both our users and our, uh, and our companies, uh, the professionals that are perhaps at a more executive or, or senior level to really understand, well, our sexual harassment policy might be this, or our training says the, these instances, uh, but actually, unbeknownst to me, um, th these actions are actually occurring, which are in a gray line. And, and, and that's, I, I think, what Kim is mentioning and saying, really, this is a kind of a good reference point to say, perhaps my, the way I'm communicating our current sexual harassment policy, or perhaps our current sexual harassment policy uh, falls short uh, and needs to be revised. And I think, Michael, like your question come down to, comes down to... Um... How do you make employees happy and how do you make employees feel safe? And of course, we can ask questions, any questions that we want that to employees. Um, I'm not 100% sure if we, could, we should go as far as that to our users who are using our platform. Maybe it's the job of the companies. But when, when there's a need, when, there's, uh, when we feel like there's a need for those kind of surveys and we should really reveal those insights and um, send it over to the world, then of course, yes, we can ask those questions. And I think it's a great um, topic that we can uh, keep on investigating um, uh, as we go. And I'm curious about the disconnect between what we think people need and what they actually need, because I think you have the answer to what they actually need. We hear a lot about people want to have remote work, hybrid work, four-day work week, uh, but just yesterday, we interviewed a CEO that had 600 employees, and he said everyone wanted to come. He gave them the option. So you can stay at home if you want. They all came back. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, what, do, what do you, if from your point of view, from your data that you're looking at, what do people really need to make things better? What are you seeing? Yeah, so I, I have a good answer to that question because we did a lot of surveys about returning to the office, how people feel. And I think the companies that have had to change their policy over and over again, what they misunderstood was they understood this as office versus remote. So they were thinking, are offices better to, to employees or is a remote better to employees? 
when employees were actually wanting autonomy. They wanted the freedom to choose between remote or hybrid, or you know, they wanted to be able to have the freedom. And the companies that gave people freedom are successfully implementing these policies because they see employees organically coming back to the offices, organically you know, getting together. But companies that are forcing these employees to come back to the office like three days per week, two days per week, whatever, are seeing employees leave because they don't have the autonomy. So I think um, over time in the past year or so, I've seen a lot of discussions around companies are forcing me to do this and I hate it versus some companies, oh, the company's giving me freedom. I can just apply for remote work and they'll, I, I'll get applied, but uh, I can also go into the office when I feel like. That's what people want. That's a really interesting insight. It's almost like being right? sort of like the, the wise parent that says, oh, just sit back. They'll get a little lonely of, you know, Zoom in the bedroom slippers and want to hang out with people. <laughs> just give it a few months. I think that's, I think it's an interesting insight. Thank you. Um, it, sorry, go ahead, Jack. So are you seeing a trend that basically people are going to look for that autonomy, the flexibility. If they don't get it, they're going to move to other places. And you just, are you starting to see actually that on the site, you know, where people may be changing their, their, the names of their company because they're leaving to go somewhere else where they feel they're appreciated and respected? Yes, uh, we actually run a survey on that and vast, vast majority of people who are not satisfied with their company's remote policy said they're gonna leave. They're gonna think about leaving. But and are they doing that? Because sometimes when they say, you know, these studies, they say, hey, they're thinking about it, but I always wonder, are they actually doing it? Is it, is um, we, we wouldn't have that data, I think. Yeah. Um, but um, I think when there's a sentiment, uh, it, it takes time, but yeah. at least part of the employees will actually take action. That's, that's what I believe. We've Tessa? also seen an increase in connection with that of users asking specific pointed questions uh, to particular companies. So a lot of Facebook employees, for example, will ask, hey, Google, what is your return to office policy really like? Interesting. Oh, and so, so that's like, a, hmm, should I go over there? I think they're feeling it out. Do I want to go to Google? Do I want to? <laughs> okay. Huh. Exactly. Did you and, do and a so survey? We've certainly seen, especially in the last year, an increase in uh, keywords like RTO, return to office, <laughs> or remote work policy uh, with the keyword of a specific company name. Interesting. Did you, have you? done a survey about meta with the name change and it does it I, I didn't notice did you do one or you have one lined up we did and what yeah. is really interesting is we found facebook employees are on board with their the vision that has been communicated by their executives uh, many facebook employees are quite excited about this pivot to the metaverse uh, many uh, facebook professionals also believe that it is a great business strategy. Okay, all right. We could edit this out, but <laughs> you really think that's the case? Is that the case or are they just, you know, because uh, from what I, I don't know Mark Zuckerberg personally, but he doesn't seem like a very empathetic kind of guy. So if he sees his people complaining, uh, he strikes me as the kind of person who track them down and find out who it is. So I don't know. what. Do you think they re do, do you do you really think they they like where they're go where it's going or um, um, playing the game? I, yeah, 
Yeah, Rick, go ahead. I, I, I believe so. So yeah. with our top rated companies, we've seen a recent trend as the concept of a metaverse or a metaverse economy or metaverse industry has started to trend. A lot of companies associated with that industry, such as NVIDIA, Microsoft, um, their popularity as top companies where top technologists or top professionals want to work at has increased. And so we were quite surprised to see NVIDIA as our number one. Well, that's Okay, that's a great lead in, Rick. So maybe we could kind of talk a little bit about the recent exclusive study that you gave us for Happy at Work. So maybe you could share you know, with, with us, with the audience, what, yeah, what you're finding, what companies they want to go to and why they're going to these companies or want to stay with them or maybe transition out to somebody else. Right. So on Blind, we have what we call a pulse feature, and it is a real-time gauge of verified professional sentiment about their company. Uh, so you can think about it as kind of democratizing the employee engagement surveys that HR or leadership teams tend to give to their uh, employees quarterly or annually. And we are looking at uh, factors such as leadership, employee engagement, career development opportunities, work-life balance, a respect for diversity and inclusion, and compensation. And what we found is, uh, I think the kind of stereotypical or first assumption is that compensation and career development would be the highest kind of indicators of how well a company is perceived. Uh, in fact, we found it was things like diversity inclusion, um, a sense of respect for the vision that the leadership team has communicated. Uh, certainly career development uh, is part of it, uh, but things also recently uh, that has become a kind of stronger signal is work-life balance. So before the year and a half when we've had this Pulse feature, um, the correlation between work-life balance and being a top-rated company wasn't as strong as it is now. Um, Tessa, did you? Uh, yeah, I have a quick question. I want to dive into that a little bit because in my, um, actually in my doctoral research, which was in the healthcare sector, I looked at generational differences um, between, and I was looking at nurses in particular, so the difference between baby boomers and millennials, whole host of issues there. Um, so I'm just curious if you, if you think that yeah, given how long Blind has been doing this work and, and, and collecting this type of data, do you, do you think it is a generational shift that's happening around prioritizing work-life balance with younger millennials and certainly Gen Z coming up versus Gen Xers who might be in executive leadership roles who have different expectations of what makes a work week? Um, what, what, you know, what do you think generation plays into this? I'm not quite confident that generation is as strong as uh, an indicator as I think what is most popularly kind of assumed uh, because we're seeing it across the board. We're seeing it also across um, leadership or, or tenure. And, and so we're even seeing directors and vice presidents saying work-life balance is more important. And, and these are the kind of professionals or, or people at a company that notoriously have the worst work-life balance, right? And some of them are quite proud and, and, and boast that they um, have this trait. Uh, and we're seeing this kind of 
almost a, a greater universality of, of what it means to be happy at work, right? It is these common trends of actually, maybe it's okay if I disconnect out of work hours, right? And we're seeing some countries outside of the US uh, even mandate it into law. Um, and, and, and that certainly spans across generations. Portugal just did that, right? Where you can't email after hours. I think they just- That's right. Yeah. Mike, did you- Yeah, yeah I was gonna ask, are there any new insights or new trends that you're seeing coming onto your radar that, that we haven't heard about? Any, any concerns that you're seeing popping up uh, recently that we should, we should know about? I, I believe there's one thing where there's a greater pushback to this term of the great resignation. So perhaps it's because of a bias towards our professionals tend to be more highly educated, uh, more white collar professionals. Uh, but this kind of probably more accurate term is probably the great reshuffling, where this great reshuffling of folks making vertical moves, perhaps they're going to a larger company, or, you know, they have maybe a small title bump, maybe going from a senior developer to a, a senior engineering manager, for example. And that has been in the works for actually um, even the last decade or so. And, and so this greater mobility has only been accelerated by COVID-19, but it's been in the work, right? We're, we're seeing in the Bureau of Labor Statistics data that the quit rate um, has been quite high for some time now. And, and the job market is also a market. So there's a, obviously a supply and a demand and we're seeing increased supply and increased demand on both sides. And that's why the job market has been so vibrant and people are advancing their careers as they um, move to different companies. And I think the reason are, first of all, you cannot work from anywhere. So you can be part of the workforce um, regardless of where you live. And the second one is because of COVID, um, you don't really have to go into a physical lecture room or classroom to learn stuff. You can actually go online and learn about, learn how to code, learn how to do marketing, and those are as valid as physical education now, like it, that education that happens in person. So we've seen a lot of people who say they've, they've um, come into this white collar workforce and they used to be uh, in the services industry or the other industry. So there's a huge increase in supply. And because of that, um, people are leaving those, their companies because they can work from anywhere. They're looking for companies that have a more flexible remote culture. And because people are leaving, companies now have to hire more. <laughs> so there's this like perfect storm of increased supply and demand. And we're seeing that online where people are just constantly asking questions about what is the best company for me at my given situation, um, including like remote policies, like salaries, culture, compensation. And it has become possible for people to do that because of um, the pandemic. I noticed that on the, on the top companies that were ranked, they were almost exclusively tech. And I do know that you have finance and other verticals. Is there, do they just not like the other places? I mean, what's, <laughs> is, is there anything going on with like Wall Street and some of the other, or is it just so terrible at those other locations, other types of companies that they didn't make the list? Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, within our top 15, uh, financial services companies such as Bloomberg and Capital One are, are, are quite represented. 
but it, it, it tends to be about these kind of higher signals such as employee engagement. Uh, those companies tend to have more hierarchical large structures where it, it, it's more difficult to feel connected when you're perhaps in an organization of uh, 10,000, 100,000 plus employees even that's highly matrixed. And, and we're seeing some uh, a, a little bit of a penalty there, so to speak. Um, also in terms of career development, that's where the financial services companies tend to do exceptionally well. And that helps keep them in the top 15 rank because they tend to have quite developed and quite mature career development or mentorship programs or fast tracks uh, to get into a, a partner level or a vice president or executive vice president role. Could it also be, because you mentioned wanting to have that flexibility is very important, but places like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan made no bones about it. They're like, hey, you get back into the office. So that I imagine that would kind of take them off the list because you, you, they're, they're really not giving much flexibility at all. Yes, and back to Kim's point, this the sense of autonomy, right? Of being yeah. able to choose, uh, do I have this freedom to, to kind of take a quote unquote hybrid work schedule or, or go in if my work schedule needs it? Um, you know, as, as recently one or two years, it was the exact opposite where financial services companies did exceptionally well on these huh. rankings. And, and so we've certainly seen this kind of a recent shift downwards because of that, that, that lack of flexibility there. Tessa? Yeah, and this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I am I'm going to jump on blind <laughs> with this podcast um, and, and check it out. I just think it seems like such an amazing resource. I guess in, in kind of like wrapping things up, what, what advice would you give to the manager or the aspiring manager to think about, you know, and, and actually, Kim, this goes to what we were talking about right before we started the podcast around especially in a startup environment, the entrepreneurial environment where you've got high growth startups who are, you know, going at a thousand miles per hour and building culture is kind of the secondary thought um, to building product and innovation and getting to market. Um, what advice would you give to them to think about how to build a culture that would foster, you know, employee loyalty and employee engagement um, even when they're growing at such a quick rate? Um, for me, blind is an opportunity to listen. It's, uh, it's an opportunity for you to really get into the conversation. Um, and these conversations are not the conversation you can have actually have with your employees one-on-one -on -one because, um, obviously as an executive, I'm on the company side. And if I go to an employee and ask them, how do you think about the company? They'll, they'll never be honest with me, <laughs> but they will be honest with their peers. Um, so I think there's a lot to say about that statement alone. And so I guess like my biggest advice to anyone who's in a leadership position is um, how do you strategize to get, get into that sentiment? And how do you listen in the right way? So instead of assuming that if you ask a question, they're just, they'll just give you the answers. How do you find out different ways to get into what people really think? And once you do that, you're able to ask the right questions um, to employees. And once you get the right answers, then you can build a strategy and a policy. Um, so I, that, that would be my advice. That's right, Mike, do you have any other uh, questions? I was just say, guys, I think you have a really interesting model and I'm, I'm curious, uh, 
what kind of impact do you think you're going to have, let's say five years from now, you know, open up the crystal ball, everything worked out. Where do you want blind to be? What sort of impact do you want to have on the world? Yeah, we want to create a feedback loop. We want to be able to say that because employees are empowered to speak honestly on blind, the companies are now listening and they're actually implementing their findings and insights to their culture, their company policies. And that's gonna encourage people to participate more because now the, our users and the people who use blind are gonna feel more empowered to speak out. And I think that's gonna actually create uh, a loop where it, it benefits everyone. And we wanna play that role in the middle where we um, just uh, make everyone happy. And that's the topic of this podcast, um, happy workplace. <laughs> Thank you. Jack, you wanna wrap us up? Yeah, yeah, I just wanna kind of follow up and amplify your, 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 your point, Mike, and Tessa brought this up earlier too. I wonder too, is there, there value, it sounds like there's a lot of value collecting that data in addition to the pulses and the surveys that could be offered to senior level executives to show, let's say, and I'm not calling any, any company out, but let's say with Goldman Sachs, where they're saying, hey, it's you know, remote work is an aberration and we want you back in, to be able to say, wait, look at this data. This is really going against what you're saying. And it's probably gonna hurt you with so many cryptocurrency exchanges, FinTech companies out there and all these different choices that if you go down that road, look at the, all this data that's showing people want the exact opposite. And so I think it, it sounds like in addition to what you have on the site, you might have a treasure trove of other things that could be kind of put together, which is I think what Mike and Tess were talking about, which seems really interesting. So, uh, so I think, I guess you have a lot of stuff ahead of you, a lot of cool things to work on. Yeah, um, actually we just launched a product called Company Insights. And oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And it was literally two days ago that we launched our, an ending page. And we started reaching out to companies and we, had a we have a couple of customers who are interested in using the product already. And what it essentially is, is we let companies discover these insights much, much faster and much more efficiently. And um, we want to surface those insights and potentially give them um, an opportunity to ask people questions on blind directly. Um, and I think that's going to help the companies really understand um, and take action on what really matters to the employees. And we, we our, the landing page is out. So if you go to our website, um, uh, click on company insights and you'll see um, what it's all about. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I, I, uh, we're so glad you came on the show guys because it's, it's so interesting to delve into what's happening with all these companies to learn about it. What, and especially this most recent pulse where you could see why people like certain companies. So it helps understand for the, for the people who are watching it and learning about it, where to navigate their career. And, and um, wow, it's really chock full, really good stuff. So thank you very much for coming aboard. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. Um, Tessa, Jack, Michael, it was really fun and um, interesting conversation and yeah. Yeah, thank you for your time today, guys. And uh, we hope to see you again in a few months. We'll see where you are and we'll uh, check in again. We'd love to do that. Absolutely. Yeah.